Pastor Xavier Rees says, when you do the math, it's Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. The Pharisees were Christians, but they were hanging on to some old things. Just like you and everybody else, if we're not careful, we try to drag in our traditions, our culture, or our dumb opinions into the gospel. Leave them out. The new creation is all that God looks at. Galatians 5, 4, 6, 14, and 15. Nothing but Jesus, grace, and faith. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. It's not uncommon while making some large purchase for the vendor to offer some value-added services like extended warranty coverage or optional accessories and so forth. And curiously, that's a similar experience Gentiles of the first century church were faced with when some Jewish Pharisees insisted that the practice of circumcision was an additional requirement for salvation to the price Jesus already paid for on the cross. Well, coming up, Pastor Xavier delivers a simple truth study describing how the apostles set out to sort out this issue of grace versus legalism from Acts chapter 15. Let's listen. The most exciting thing to watch is the joy of people as they manifest the joy of the Lord when they come to Jesus Christ. But there are always those who desire to put people under their sort of bondage, legalism, quenching what God has done in their life. They always say, well, yeah, it's fine that you're born again, but you know, you need to do this and you shouldn't do that. And yes, we know that we should do some things and we shouldn't do other things, but most of those things that people say, they're not in the Bible. It's their own personal opinion. It's things that have been handed down from denominations, from traditions, or stupid personal opinions. It is innate in people to want to control people. And so, we want to look at the problem that arose at Antioch here over circumcision for the Gentiles to be saved. This is the context. There are three progressive movements here that developed the account of the first church council over circumcision. They are as follows. First, the conflict over circumcision, verse 1 through 5. Second, you have the council over circumcision, verse 6 through 18. And then third, you have the conclusion over circumcision, verse 19 through 31. The conflict, the council, the conclusion. Let's begin here with the conflict over circumcision. Notice in verse 1, the conflict was introduced at Antioch. The instigators of legalism uh, were Jews. There were Jews from Judea who were teaching the Christians at Antioch at that time. Remember, Paul and Barnabas were there. Antioch had become the missionary outreach center to the world through the teaching of Paul and Barnabas. This goes back to chapter 11, 19 through 26. They were there. In Acts 13, 2, the Holy Spirit called Barnabas and Saul for the work the ministry had called them, sent them out to Cyprus, then Asia Minor there. They were not named, but simply identified as Jewish Christians by the word brethren, Adolphus, born in the same womb. So these were born again. It is interesting how much trouble Christians cause in the church, sometimes more than non-believers, because they're carnal. Or they're self-righteous. We have an entire epistle for the church of carnality. 1 Corinthians. Really, 2. 2 Corinthians. But the church of Corinth is still around. Now, notice they 
were teaching that circumcision was required for salvation. This is the key. The covenant of circumcision was given to Abraham, as you know, back in Genesis. But it was after the promise. It was the seal of the promise. That's all it was. Okay? Abraham received that promise while being uncircumcised. Circumcision was an outward sign of what had already happened in his heart. And the Jews then required of proselytes, those who came fully to be completely Embracing the Jewish faith. Those who fell short of circumcision were proselytes of the gate or God fears. That's all. We've gone through this before. But in Galatians 6.13, which you have to tie with this here because they tie together. Paul told the Galatians that these Judaizers wanted them to be circumcised to boast in their flesh. Because chapter 2 of Galatians we'll see is the same account that we find here. Now, the event is described for us by Paul in chapter Galatians Chapter 2. He speaks about it there. The account of Paul rebukes Peter publicly from verse 11 on down in chapter 2 of Galatians. And it's not about circumcision. It's about food. Because he was eating pork chops with the Gentile. And then some Jews came and he kind of scurried over to the kosher table. And so Paul got in his face. That happened after this council, which made him a bigger hypocrite. Now, those who want to put it before the council, they're still up a tree without a paddle, or really up the lake without a paddle, and up the tree where they shouldn't be, is that Peter was told more than 10 years earlier by God never to call anything common who God had cleansed as he sent to the house of Cornelius, right? So either way, Peter's busted. I believe Galatians 2 is talking about the council, verse 1 through 10, and verse 11 on down of chapter 2 of the hypocrisy of Peter after the council, which makes it worse. It's chronological there. They were working among the Gentiles. They had seen what God had done. And all of a sudden these guys come in. Therefore the account of Acts 15 here is the same as Galatians chapter 2 verse 1 through 10. Paul gives supplementary information in the epistle of Galatians. He indicates these men came in secretly, stealth, that's the word, like the stealth bomber, undetected. To spy out their liberty they had in Christ. Attempting to compel Titus to be circumcised. Galatians 2, 3 through 5. Paul says, not in your mind. He's a Gentile. Now Paul later circumcised Timothy because his mom was Jewish. That made him Jew. And Paul always went to the synagogue first. Okay? So as not, but he never compelled any Gentile to be circumcised. Now notice verse 2. The conflict was with Paul and Barnabas. The disagreement with these men was a very serious matter. Mark it well. Luke describes it as Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension in dispute with them. The word dissension means sedition, insurrection. The idea is one of rebellion against the present authority. What's the present authority? Not Paul and Barnabas. The gospel. The gospel. The word dispute means disputing in questions. This became a big crisis. The expression is no small stir. It's what is called litotis. It indicates just the opposite. When it says that, it means it's a big deal. It is grave. Now notice Paul and Barnabas were the pastors and missionaries to the Gentiles there in Antioch. They had been in Antioch already from the inception. Chapter 11, 19 through 26 told us that. They had been sent out by the Holy Spirit in Acts 13, 1 through 3. They're back. And the disagreement was... Was 
It's happening here. And all of a sudden now, it's to be taken to Jerusalem. Verse 2 tells us the decision was that Paul and Barnabas and others here from Antioch should go up to Jerusalem. Not because Jerusalem was a controlling factor, but Jerusalem is where the church began. It's just that the 12 apostles were there. And if this was going to be cleared up, because this is the watershed for the gospel... It's either going to be an extension of, of Judaism or it's going to be the church of Jesus Christ. This was a watershed. And they both came together in agreement. The same body. Not that they had authority over all the other churches. We've all gone over that before. But this agreement was to be taken up with the apostles and elders, it says in verse 2. Now, the conflict led the church to send delegates to Jerusalem, verse 3 and 4. In verse 3, they minister one on the way to Jerusalem, being sent by the church there. Does not contradict Paul when he says he went up by revelation in Galatians 3, 2, 2. Again, it's supplementary. How often we see divine and human working together. Peter was a Joppa. Holy Spirit is dealing to him. Go to Cornelius. God is dealing with Cornelius. Cornelius sends his soldiers and servants. What's the problem? Is there a contradiction? No. A complete picture. God saves Paul on the road to Damascus. He tells Ananias to go confirm Paul while he's there praying. Any contradiction? No. Notice from Antioch through Phoenicia, the area of Beirut, Tyre and Sidon, and down to the coast, down to Caesarea, to Samaria, nearly 300 miles. A long journey for those days. This is critical. This needs to be straightened out. They went describing, which means to narrate all. All the details of all that God had done in the mission field. The miracles, the, everything, the stoning, the persecution, everything. And the response was, great joy among the brethren, the Christians, verse 3, at the end says. These are Gentiles, many of them. Now, they finally arrived at Jerusalem, look at verse 4. And they were received on the arrival by the Jerusalem church, the apostles and the elders. The apostles, of course, were the eleven. James has been killed already. The elders, presbyterals, identifies the aged men and the office they held to oversee to care for the church. They then reported all the things that God had done with them. How the gospel alone, apart from circumcision, has saved the Gentiles in the first missionary journey. Paul places the event at 14 years of his conversion. It's easy math. 52 A.D. That's what has taken place. Notice the conflict was joined by the Pharisees. In verse 5. The Pharisees were Christians. No doubt about it. They were religious legalists in the days of Jesus. These group had been born again. The perfect participle in the Greek indicates they were believers. But they were hanging on to some old things. Just like you and everybody else. If we're not careful. We try to drag in our traditions, our culture, or our dumb opinions into the gospel. Leave them out. The Pharisees had added 613 commandments by their traditions. Jesus said, you have heard this has been said, but I say to you. Now notice the Pharisees were... The opposition from within the church. This is always the biggest danger. The greatest opposition in the church today is within the church. False teaching and heresy within the church today. Not outside the church. They declared it is necessary to circumcise them. Wow. They understood Christianity to be an extension of Judaism. A great error. They declared they needed 
to command them to keep the law of Moses. They failed to recognize that the law condemned man didn't save him. The law was added to the promise, not the reverse. Galatians 3.19. And Paul makes this very clear through Romans, specifically chapter 3 and 4. You know, in South America, most of the South American countries, if a pastor doesn't wear a tie and a suit, they don't believe he's anointed of God. The anointing of God cannot be upon him. Now, you and I may laugh and chuckle at that, but they're dead serious. These are traditional things that get brought in as legalism. Or if you're a Christian and you walk in to a, to a service with shorts on, they think you, you can't be a Christian. All this trapping that comes in, that we place upon people. The conflict of circumcision can take many different forms today. There's those Calvinists that always come in to attempt to convert you to Calvinism. One saved, always saved, rather than going to the world and saving people. Then there are those who come in to straighten you out about baptism. That if you're not baptized and you die, you don't get to heaven. Wrong. You're completing Christ Jesus alone. Then you have those hyper-Pentecostals that attempt to convince you that you can speak in tongues and you should speak in tongues. And if you don't speak in tongues, you're not even saved. That's hyper-Pentecostals. Not all Pentecostals. It's wrong. By the way, we are Pentecostal. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit. We just exercise them decent and in order. We are also, here's a dirty word the world, fundamentalists. We believe the inerrant and infallibility of the Word of God. Yet Catholics trust in the seven sacraments for salvation. The primacy of Peter, the infallibility of the Pope, the intercession of Mary as a co-redemptress. Co and if you believe that, you're not a Christian. There are Mormons who say they are Christians, yet profess that they have a restored gospel. I never knew the gospel was messed up. They have living apostles saying that God's word is not sufficient apart from the revelation of the angel Moroni, which is full of baloney. No, gospel's not lost. Then you have the JWs, Jehovah Witnesses, who say that they're Christians and yet they deny that Jesus Christ is God. And then you have to work. Even if you stand on a corner out in Death Valley, as long as you put your hours in, you'll get in heaven. So you got to work for your salvation. That's a heck of a way to get saved. Then you also have the Seventh-day Adventists who emphasize keeping the Sabbath and dietary law for salvation. And if you really look to the writings of Ellen G. White, the founder, I don't know what volume it is, but she declares that you you got to pay for your own sins with your own blood. Now, I know the majority of them don't teach that or practice that, but it's in the books. If one tries to justify oneself by the law, he falls from grace. The new creation is all that God looks at. Galatians 5, 4, 6, 14, and 15. Nothing but Jesus, grace, and faith. And so the conflict over circumcision was opposed to grace. Opposed to grace. And notice, secondly, we have the council over circumcision. 6 through 18. And six, the council involved the apostles and elders. The apostles and elders alone considered the matter. The church welcomed them in initial reception. In verse 4, the council heard Peter's proclamation after there had been much dispute. Verse 7. Peter rose, declared how God had chosen him to preach the gospel to the house of Cornelius. He said by his own mouth that the Gentiles should bear the word of God and believe more than 10 years prior to this. 
So there's been a long time. A lot of Jews, have, a lot of Gentiles have been being saved. Now it becomes a real concern. We get real proudful, right? All of a sudden, God starts doing a work and congregations all lily white. Or all black. Or all Mexican. And then God starts bringing others in. They go, who are these people? What do you mean, who are these people? The people that are lost and need to get saved. So we have to be real careful of our attitude. He did this through the vision of Joppa in Acts 10, right? Peter gave them two proofs of the genuine salvation of the Gentiles. Verse 8 and 9. Don't miss it. Verse 8, he declared that God, who knows the heart of every man, gave the Holy Spirit to the Gentiles as to the Jews. You cannot be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. By the way, the Spirit there is the baptism. Okay? He's not even talking about just a new birth. He's talking about the baptism. Remember, as he was preaching, they were baptized in spoken tongues, right? Just as us, in Pentecost, the Spirit fell upon them, right? Verse 9, he declared that God made no distinction between Jew and Gentile, purifying their hearts by faith. Catharsis. The psychologists use that for you to, to purge yourself. And you go into this room and there's a dummy there and that's the person that you have things against. And you tell them everything you want and then all the steam will get blown out. But the problem is it will build up again. Biblical catharsis means he purges your heart. He cleanses you from all sin. Because what he changes is your heart. That's the problem. You understand? Jeremiah 17, 9. Deceitful, desperately wicked. Jesus told Peter in Acts 10, 15, Whatever God has cleansed, don't ever call common. You remember that when you looked at a young lady. To a young man. Don't ever say common. They're brand new. Look at verse 10 and 11. Peter brought his argument to a conclusion based on what he had stated. Why are you tempting God? The word test means to try whether a thing can be done. The context determines whether it's good or bad. This context in our text is bad. They're challenging God on what he requires alone for salvation. They've got a real problem. This is not against Paul and Barnabas. This is against God. The manner in which they were testing God was very clearly and vivid as a picture. By putting a yoke on their necks of disciples, and he calls them disciples, they're Christians, students, which neither their fathers nor they were able to what? Bear. Why? The Jewish Christians, by wanting to impose the yoke of circumcision on the Gentiles rather than the yoke of Jesus, were fighting against God. Matthew eleven twenty nine. Take my yoke upon me and learn of me. The only yoke you're to take and I'm to take is the yoke of Jesus. That's the only one. I can handle that one. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Paul would have to remind Peter once again, as we stated earlier, about the double standard, rebuking him publicly, walking both sides there in, in, at Antioch in Galatians 2, 11 through 19, after the council. Boy, Peter's just a hard head, isn't he? Look at verse 12. The council heard the confirmation of Paul and Barnabas next. The multitude kept silent. The implication was conviction and comprehending that to require circumcision for salvation is a great error. You can stand, oh, no, 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 and all of a sudden you hear and you go, wow, you're right. The light goes on. The multitude then listened to the testimony of Barnabas and Paul regarding the miracles of wonders God worked. Work through them 
among the Gentiles in the first missionary journey. As Hebrews 2, 4 says, God does those things according to his will. Paul and Barnabas didn't just do them at their own will. God did it. It's interesting to me. This is the shortest thing. We're not, we don't hear anything here. Which is a great evidence that Paul and Barnabas had already shared this privately with them. And here we have the public discourse of it. You understand? Because it's not even recorded. What they, Paul and Barnabas should be the ones speaking the most, right? They already had in that private meeting. Here's the public one. This is a great evidence to that. Now, look at verse 13. Through 18. The council heard the application of James. In verse 13 and 14, James declares how Peter had stated that God visited the Gentiles first to take out what? A people for his name. They became silent by the evidence of God's work among the Gentiles in verse 13. The phrase people for his name was unique of Israel till now. Now it's to the Gentiles. They are the people of God also. Exodus 19.5 for Israel. 1 Peter 2.10 for the church. James was the Lord's half-brother, as you know. He didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah before the resurrection. John 7.15. And then Jesus appears to him in 1 Corinthians 15.7. He is the head of the church of Jerusalem here. He is the one in authority here. It's not Peter. Peter has gone out of the picture. This is the last time he appears. Paul is the center and the focus. The rest of Acts. Now notice in verse 15, James declares God's prophets verify what Peter declared. Quoting the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew writings. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and all the minor prophets. All of them. James declares God, after choosing the Gentiles, in verse 16, will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. James understood the promise referred to Jesus in fulfillment of both by quoting Amos 9, 11 through 12, which 1 Samuel 7, 12, Isaiah 11, 10 confirm. He would save first the Gentiles and then when he comes back with his church in the millennial kingdom, he will restore the tabernacle of David. And many Gentiles will enter the kingdom. At that time, we've seen this, Isaiah 2, 2, Isaiah eleven ten, Isaiah 60, verse 5, Isaiah 66, 23. We've done a whole series on the millennial kingdom. If you weren't here, get it. You need to understand it. Now look at 18. James declares that known to God are all his works. He's still in the context of the prophets. He had revealed all these things before they happened. He would bring them to pass in their appropriate time. And he had done so in the salvation of the Gentiles as part of his eternal counsel of his will. Listen to Isaiah 45, 21. Tell and bring forth your case. Yes, let them take counsel together. Who has declared this from ancient times? Who has told it from that time? Have not I, the Lord Yahweh? And there is no other God besides me, a just God and a Savior. There is none besides me. The context is in salvation of the Gentile to come. Now, the whole theme of Isaiah from 40 to the end is this. I am God. There is no other. I've cruised up and down this universe never bumped into any other God. But if you find one, let him tell me of things before they happen. So when they happen, I can declare him God. No one's ever taken him up on it. He's the only God who knows the end from the beginning. And declares it so. 
And with that powerful prophecy of God's omniscience from Isaiah, we're going to have to break in as we wrap up our time together for today. Pastor Xavier Reese has been delivering what he's called a watershed for the gospel in this intriguing simple truth study of the debate over Gentiles keeping the law from Acts chapter 15. Now, there's much more to this message to come next time, but if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, you can always pick up a copy of this message. And the title to ask for is The Gentiles and Circumcision. It's available on CD for just $4. And make sure you pass on this study to someone in your church or Bible study. So once again, the title to ask for is The Gentiles and Circumcision, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. Next time, Pastor Xavier Reese brings more simple truths of a gospel, not of legalism, but of grace. Hope you'll tell a friend and join us then. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 